Welcome to The Craft. I'm your host, Mae Globus. This podcast is a collection of intimate conversations on artistry, mastery, and life with talented, passionately curious creatives and entrepreneurs. Most are dear friends, some are those I've admired from afar. I hope you enjoy these conversations, this exploration of the humanity that connects all of us as much as I do having them. Thank you for being here and for listening. Movi is someone whose spirit just cannot be denied. The musician, songwriter, and artist, who recently signed a major deal with 604 Records, is on the precipice of the world getting to know and hear his music. He was born in Ghana as Ronsford Lai and raised in Southampton in the UK, the son of a pastor. His parents worked two or three jobs, and he and his sisters grew up in a household that still upheld the Ghanaian culture. As a teenager, Adversity turned on Movi's resilience to full blast. Working hard, he became a star basketball player, leading him to play in Europe professionally for a number of years, including in Denmark and for England's national team. A tragedy struck during his time in Europe, causing him to hang up his basketball shoes. As solace, he turned to his longtime love for creative writing, churning out poems, essays, novels, and songs. Eventually, Movi started going to open mics and then, with no experience, organized himself a world tour and played a slew of shows and festivals, gaining the attention of stations like BBC Radio 1. In this conversation, we go deep into his childhood, how the bullying he experienced growing up pushed him to pick up new skills, why coachability is an important trait to have, his journey to becoming a pro basketball player, signing his major deal with 604 Records, new music coming out, why spreading love is essential to him, and much more. Please enjoy this conversation with this brilliant star, the resilient, perceptive, and eternally talented Movi. Movi, welcome to The Craft. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy you're here. I'm ecstatic that I'm here. I'm <laughs> a tiny bit nervous, but um, it's uh, good nerves. Yeah. yeah. Well, I love connecting dots on how I met guests. And I actually only met you a few weeks ago through Jay, who's one of my sound engineers. And she told me, you've got to meet this guy, Movi. He's incredible. He'd be wonderful for your podcast, but mostly you just need to meet him. So I'm very <laughs> happy that she introduced us. Yeah, no, honestly, Jay, I love Jay. Like, that's as simple as I can make it. So I'm really, I'm excited that um, even when I'm not there, it's like, you know, I've got great friends who are saying good things about me. So, yeah, so. yeah, nothing but wonderful things. <laughs> and then we also found out that we have um, my good friend, Nate Sabine, who is also, he was my second guest on The Craft. Yeah. You also know him as well. Yeah, we're, we've just uh, started kind of communicating. I feel like it's real when it's off Instagram. Like when, when you communicate and you got someone's number and you, you actually communicate outside of that social sphere, um, you can call it a, a real connection. <laughs> so yeah, for sure. We're, um, yeah, we're just, we're just chatting away and finding that we've got uh, a lot of things in common, which is cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's, a, he's a great person to have in your role, for sure. Yeah. So tell me, let's take it way back. Yes. T- tell me about your childhood. You were born in Ghana, mm-hmm. raised in Southampton, uh, England. And your real name is Ransford Lai. Yeah. I hope I said that right. Yeah. Tell me about childhood. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I don't remember much from from Ghana itself. Um, I'm actually I'm heading back there 
at the beginning of next year, which is going to be like a great homecoming. Um, but uh, my my parents speak language. You know, they, you know, they taught us like that's how we communicate at home. We eat the food, um, so it feels like um, whatever house we've lived in, that has been Ghana. That, that's mm-hmm. what I know of Ghana is is the is the houses um, that my parents raised uh, my sisters and I in. Um, but you know, one thing that was super clear for me from literally the first day is um, just how hardworking my parents were. They came to England, I'm sure, like a lot of people with with nothing, and then a bit for actually with three kids, <laughs> so a little bit more than nothing. But yeah, and then they just um, put us through the best schools. We all went to private schools. Um, they worked like two, three jobs to put us in, that, in those positions. Mm. Um, and so I can just always remember my mum and dad working unbelievably hard, but then having the exact amount of time with us that we needed. Mm. Um, my dad took me to every single um, sports practice, whatever sport it was. He was every single one, but then he also worked two jobs. Um, and it was only when I was like, maybe 18 or something like that, that I'm like, how do they how do they do it? Like, how do they get enough money for like this crazy expensive school? How do they send me to this country? How do they do this? How do they give me this opportunity? How are they there? Like, they, they remember moments because they were there. Um, and I'm like, how do they do it all? Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it's, I think that's what I remember the most is just, um, them being there and working unbelievably hard for my sisters and I. Mm. Yeah. Your dad was a pastor, mm-hmm. or or is as we were chatting in, yeah. in uh, just before we started recording. Mm-hmm. What's he like? So I mean, my dad is. The reason why I say he is and and not was is because I feel like it's uh, it's more than a job, um, and. It's not necessarily tied to like one religion even, you know, that kind of pastoral figure, that's kind of what my dad is. You know, um, everybody loves my dad. He's super wise. He's, um, he is, just has the best stories. Um, He's, you know, great with defending people. And he's just, that's what he's kind of taught me this, the, um, to be measured in how I treat people um, and, you know, everybody's different. Um, you can't, you know, like, I, I rarely, very rarely just like flip out. And that's because of my dad, you know, how he, and, and he gets mad sometimes for sure, but like he's, he was very, yeah, just pastoral, was there to listen, mm-hmm. there to give good advice. Um, I imagine he's even keeled. Yeah, he's just, I mean, if you get him talking about like certain topics, he can be like pretty <laughs> animated. But um, just one thing I, I say, like this is just kind of captures my dad. He um, he he worked in the um, the post room at a university, um, and this is like one of the biggest universities in England. It's called Southampton University, and he pretty much knew like everyone's name, like uh, in. And he had to deliver to all the departments, mm. like students, faculty, or staff, or everybody. Like he knew them by name, and that's just how my my dad is. Like you know, um, he, he's he's not just going to gloss over 
you know, you, you'll remember what, what you told him two years ago, you know, mm. things like that. So that's what I'd say uh, about him. Mm. Mm. And your mom? My mom, I mean, I've just like showered my dad with praise, but my mum is like the absolute glue to the family. Um, like she's literally an absolute beast. Like she, yeah, came from Ghana with us, took care of us. Like both my mum and dad cooked, but my mum obviously she was like amazing cook. Put herself through university to kind of retrain to. Um, um, get into a different sector of work. Um, she's just like, my mum's everybody's mum. I think that's like, that's, everyone feels like that when they're around my mum. She really is like the, a mum. Mm -hmm, <laughs> she's mm -hmm. just a really awesome mum, like, you know. A big warm um, hug. <laughs> that, that's exactly what my mum is, yeah. So mm. she's, yeah, she's, um, she's just, so important to our, our whole family just really keeps everything together and keeps all of us together so yeah mm. and mm. what about you what were you what were you like as a kid and teenager um i think I, I mean i was pretty energetic um throughout uh really and um and a lot of stuff happened to me in my life um, but i think i've always kept my my energy and um, like the zest for life and um, you know when I it, like when I was in before I went to well throughout school uh, I was bullied a lot um, and for lots of different reasons you know like I got bullied because I'm the only black person in the school I got bullied because I actually liked biology you know I got bullied because I couldn't play sports right? L lots of different things um, and uh, I, I can just remember it, it never phasing me. Like I never, I didn't need someone to tell me, hey, you know, you'll get through it or like you're worthy. Like I, I was, I don't know how, but I, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but like I was always had the ability to like pick myself up and be like, okay, like they think this, I'm gonna do this. You know, they said I can't do this. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this solely because they said I can't do this, and then I'm going to excel over and above. Like, you know, and that could be from like teachers. Like I remember, this is the dumbest thing, but I remember my, um, I, um, I guess we're gonna talk about it a little bit later. But like I, we, I played basketball growing up, and um, I had to play. A, a tournament for England. I was playing for the national team and um, we had to go to like Italy or something. And so I had to leave school early because we had to catch a flight or whatever. It was like a Friday. And like in, I left, everybody knew, the teacher knew everybody, you know, and as I was leaving, this math teacher was like, the typical like, you're, you know, what are you gonna do, play basketball all your life? Just the, the way she kind of like belittled me in front of the class. And in my mind, at that exact moment, I was like, yeah, actually, that's exactly what I'm gonna do. Like before then, I didn't even, that wasn't the goal. Mm -hmm. But I was, I guess I was just super petty as a as a, a kid and a teenager. I'm like, that, 
that's what you, okay, great. Like, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And I, now, because of you, and you probably don't even care, but because of you, I'm going to get myself to a point in, in, in my life where I'm going to earn a living from doing the exact thing that you said I can't do. And that was just, that's what I remember from, from being young, just that. Determination. Determination, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And belief yeah, in oneself. Yeah, incredible belief that mm. I, and yeah, I can never, you know, um, my parents never told me I couldn't do anything and maybe that's where it, it came from, but they were never like pushy. Like if I didn't want to go to basketball practice, I didn't have to go to basketball practice. If I didn't want to, you know, the only thing they were pushy on was school schoolwork, but they they never, so I don't know where I got that from, but like I I really like had the determination to, to win and um, to not be denied. Like mm. I, I refused to be denied, like in that, even to today, like that's just how I am as a, as a person. I just, I'm just not gonna be denied. If I wanna do something, I'm gonna do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's exactly what you did. You yeah. became a basketball player yeah. that, that made a living mm-hmm. off of that. Um, you played in Kentucky during high school and then you eventually went pro and you played for a top European league in Denmark and in England in the BBL. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's pretty it's pretty incredible and I remember you saying that you weren't naturally gifted but you just worked incredibly hard instead. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that I had um I was really really fast. So I I had to track and field as well and so other than that um it, you know, I'm not 6'10 and have this crazy natural ability but I just, I just knew from early on that like if I work harder than everybody else, I'm going to, I'm going to be successful, and then I, I've that's, that has taken me everywhere I've been, um, and also being being coachable as well and mm. having the ability to listen. So I've, I feel like those two things are even more important than the hard work. Mm. Like if you're someone who is coachable, like if you can listen to a coach whether they speak nicely to you or yell at you, like if, how do you respond when someone tells you that you got something that you've got to do better? If you, someone tells you that you suck at something, are you gonna cry about it? Or are you gonna actually be like, yeah, actually I do suck at it. And even if I don't suck at it, even if I think I'm the best at it, you are saying I suck at it. So I'm going to be better at that thing. And if that person is in any type of authoritative position, like a coach, for example, Instead of me thinking, oh my gosh, the coach hates me, like I'm gonna, you know, I, but I'm really, really good anyway. I'm like, no, I might be the best thing that has ever touched a basketball court, but this coach thinks I suck and I'm playing for this coach. So therefore I am now going to work even harder and succeed for that coach. Mm. Because when the season's over or when that my time with that team's over, I'm, I'm only going to get better. If I put more effort into it, it's not like he is going to get better from me working harder. And it's the same it's the same thing in, in lots of different scenarios. It, it can be um, academia or entertainment or whatever it is. So working harder is not going to hurt you. And it doesn't make the other person better. It doesn't make any of your doubters or quote, quote, haters better. It only makes you better to work hard. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, um, so that's the, the, the kind of mindset I was had from literally the first day I started playing basketball. I started playing basketball because I got bullied and I was told, aren't black people supposed to be good at basketball by this like random kid at school? 
and um, <laughs> I guess like Michael Jordan, I was like, I really took that personally. Like I was like, I was like, I, I took offense to that. So I was like, okay, like this summer, I'm going to, I'm going to live up to that, to your like expectations that, that meant nothing. So he gained nothing from me improving my, my skill level at basketball, but um, that it only helped me. Mm. And for the, so for two seconds, I proved that human being wrong. But, but you, were, you were improved for the longer. But I was improved forever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, I don't play basketball to any high level now, but playing team sports, you know, um, being coachable, like working hard on my craft, day in and day out, one foot in front of the other, all these things are things that have, like, I, I needed and need in, in where I am now. Mm. So um, I didn't enjoy that as a motivation. And I should be speaking the other day about, like, um, wanting to um, wanting to change narratives and origin stories. So for example, I want to do this because I want to distribute love, or I want to do this because I want to help my family. Not I want to do this because Sally down the road told mm. me that I couldn't do it. Right. I don't want that to be the origin story. Um, and it has been the origin story of a lot of things in my life, but you know, um, that I'm excited to be able to create um, new narratives um, that are um, that have the an origin story of something like from a place of positivity and um, yeah, just not negative. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, that's part of the growth process, right? Right. Mm -hmm. right? I, I can I can see as a young person, you're like, oh, I'm going to prove you wrong, but right. as you get older and wiser, you're like, oh well, that's not. That shouldn't be the purpose. Right, the drive, right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm just thinking about what you're saying about coachability being an important trait and, and reflecting upon it. I'm like, yeah, that's that's a really good one because that means you can take constructive criticism and not take it personally and just evolve. Yeah. Mm. Just yeah, literally just just get just get better. Like I it's so key. It's so key, especially with young people, that they they grasp that um, it you're not you're not getting better for anyone else, and you trying harder that doesn't make anybody else better. That makes you better. You not trying hard again, it doesn't make anybody better or worse. Mm -hmm. It makes you worse mm -hmm. like all of these things someone can say to you like i don't like how you do this okay like what so what, what are you gonna do like are you gonna stop doing it wallow in oh my gosh this person put so much weight into this person's opinion about this or that or are you going to get some tunnel vision and then work mm -hmm. and work at it like every criticism and you mentioned constructive criticism even if it's not constructive criticism like that can be dangerous if it's like if it's like i hate you i hate the way you look and obviously there's things that are just not constructive but and you have to be able to decipher these things for yourself but um especially if you're in a if you're in a space like there are some toxic coaches as well there mm. are some toxic leaders as well so it's not they're not all you aren't always going to have great people who want the best for you. So they're 
people, you can have coaches or teachers or mentors or whoever who actually don't want the best for you and can lead you into a path. So you're gonna have to monitor um, uh, and discern for yourself what is being said and delivered to you. Mm -hmm. um, but at the end of the day, it still reigns true. Like you, uh, you putting your head down and work is only getting you better. It's not getting anybody else better. Right. Yeah. And I suppose you're talking about the ones that are more toxic. Mm -hmm. Those are the people who help you build a thick skin through adversity. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think for me, um, and I know that's not the case for, for everybody. It can be quite destructive. Um, but for me, uh, I am, I guess I'm just realizing like I'm so, so sensitive, but I won't be denied. So mm. like it affected me in some way. And like, I I might be really, really upset and I might have not forgotten every, I think that's the worst part about me. If I have to say one thing is I remember every single thing, every, every sentence, every detail, I remember everything. And that's good and bad. Like mm. it's, I remember every slight, I re, like literally, it's not, I can't, I can't actually say that I've gotten over anything because I haven't. Mm. Like from like, even something like from girlfriend number one to now, I, rem I remember everything, every, everything in, in every scenario of my life. Um, I've developed, I'd, I've developed thick skin enough to not be denied but I still am really sensitive about stuff. Mm. Um, but I'm, the, the point is that no one's gonna make me quit what I'm doing. Mm. And that's the, so I would rather, I guess I'm saying I'd, I would, I'm happy to take what comes with that mm. rather than not having any of it and, you know, maybe, maybe being, not being strong enough to actually continue when things are, are difficult. Right. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Let's put a pin on that that mm -hmm. thought because I'd like to loop it into something else okay. later on. Uh, tell me about how you got into. Actually, let's let's go back again. I'd love to learn learn more about your experience playing professional basketball and what that was like for you and what you feel it it gave you. Yeah, I mean, the journey was quite difficult to get. Um, to onto a roster, so 12 to 15 players um, out of millions of players. Who, there's, no, there's only a finite amount of rosters in the world, so regardless of what pro league. So I was really um, blessed to be able to, to get to that spot. I didn't have an agent, and I wasn't coming from like a big basketball country. I didn't go to college in the States. So I literally, I actually flew myself to um, uh, practices. There wasn't even like scheduled workouts. I wasn't invited anywhere. Like I emailed teams, bought myself a ticket. I didn't take no for an answer. Like sometimes I didn't get a response. I would just check when their practices were, fly to that country, be at the practice. And then my flight back home was like the next day. And I was really fortunate, I organized being able to go to a couple of practices in um, Copenhagen. And um, yeah, I knew that I had to win the coaches over 
at basketball, but also off the court. I had to show them in a very short space of time that like, this is why you need to give me an opportunity to play on this team. Um, there were two uh, like veteran point guards ahead of me, so I like, hardly played. Um, and I think for a lot of people, you know, a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, you didn't play, ha <laughs> ha. Like, um, my experience, I got to practice with like elite players every single day, day in and day out. I got to learn about work ethic. I got to learn about like taking care of everybody. And um, that's, so all these things are like invaluable. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and so that, I think that was the, the, the main, the main parts is that I took, I didn't take, you know, I've, I went to so many places. I went to Germany, I went to Switzerland, I went to Iceland just to, you know, try and get on a roster um, because I, I just, I did not, I refused to be denied. Like I was like, I'm not taking, I'm not leaving this summer without getting on a team, period. Um, and so it was really great to be able to actually come out of the other end and have actually got what I wanted. Um, what do you think it was about you that made the team in Copenhagen take a chance on you? Um, I mean, I, I wasn't a terrible player, so I think it was a, I was able to add some some value there. But um, more, I think more than anything is that I actually ultimately convinced them that I was coachable mm. um, and that I wanted to get better. And then I was someone who was like, um, there for the right reasons. So I think I think that was, um, yeah, that was important. Mm-hmm. But it's really cutthroat in in European. Um, pretty much, it's kind of it's cutthroat in every league. But you don't get like guaranteed contracts in in Europe. And um, not going to get into it. But like the scenario in in Denmark didn't end well in in a lot of different ways. And it's you know stuff that I still think about about today but um, I think that the it's a really cutthroat scenario in in Europe Um, you you know we had players who got sent home Um, I mean some of the players who were getting like real money they got sent home because they didn't perform that weekend Mm. you know and that 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 can happen because there's so many players who who want to play and um, and this person's not performing, so the team just brings another person in. You know, I so see. you don't know what you're gonna what's gonna happen tomorrow. And I think that's if you just make a roster in a scenario like that off of your talent, and then you don't perform, and talent mm-hmm. is all you have, it's easy for someone to replace you. If you, I, I was not the best player, but I did not get replaced because I I didn't get on that roster just because of my talent. Right. Um, and so it was, it was a bit more than that. They knew I flew to that country uninvited. They knew I, I organized three days of stuff by myself. I organized the workouts, I organized the meetings, I took the meetings by myself. I was articulate enough to, com- to communicate what I wanted, what I could deliver, all of these things completely by myself. Mm. And they had to have been impressed by that. Right. Um, because I'm sure that's not normal for play- players to do. Right, um, yeah. So I it's a to, lot of willpower, yeah. like sheer willpower. And you have to manage, yeah. manage the obvious desperation of wanting to do it, which ev- there's so many pros out there 
desperate to get on the roster, like absolutely desperate. So you have to manage that desperation and also have like an actual business conversation with somebody mm. and in some way make them feel like they really want you as opposed to you're just desperate to get on, on their roster. Because mm. that's not enough. Just show, you know, they can argue, they can argue back, well, everybody wants to play. Mm -hmm. why, why, why do you, why, why you, you know? So um, lots of different um, factors for sure, but um, I just think I wasn't going to get denied. So mm. if it wasn't there, it would have been somewhere else. Mm -hmm. You have flown to another country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's go into this, the next chapter of your life, mm -hmm. which is more creative. Um, you experienced a huge loss in your life, and that was the loss of your best friend. And that caused you to take some pause and led to this period of creativity, creative, creative writing, poems, short stories, essays, novels, and then songs. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, I, I, my first memory of like writing or doing anything creative um, was when I went to prep school in Kentucky. Um, it was so weird because I've, I've been, I've been thinking like, man, I had to start before then. Um, or curiosity, like I didn't like read a ton of books as a, as a kid. It's not like I, I didn't, but I, I also. I can't remember. I can't remember, you know, um, having reading being such a thing or jumping into stories or anything like that. So when I got to school there, um, I had a, a teacher. She was in my homeroom, but also my creative writing teacher. I didn't even know that creative writing was like a class, but I was like, oh, this is awesome. So um, I, 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 I absolutely loved the class from like the first day. And um, I asked, um, I was just like, I really want to be good at writing. And so um, the, the teacher, her name's Alice Lindsley, she, um, she asked me to write a poem like every day. And then she would grade it and like kind of help me. And then the first couple of poems, you know, it was like three pages back to back, like describing every single thing. Like, you know, it was just a lot. Um, <laughs> and I, you know, as far as a communicator, I'm, I feel like I am detailed and descriptive and things like that. And she, she taught me how to, to turn like three pages into like three lines and saying, be, being able to say something that impactful, just with less words. Um, and that, that literally that changed my whole life, you know, her, the repetitions, the writing every single day. Um, and I was there at the school, um, this prep school for basketball. So I was playing basketball twice a day. And then that, that work ethic um, that I learned from like, just all my years of basketball, like, if you're going to get better, you know that every other player on your team is probably more gifted than you. Like, so in order for you to play at all, you have to be, you have to work harder than them. It's the same thing with my writing. I'm like, I, I have to, I have to work at it because, you know, um, maybe there's some talent there, but there's, I, I need to work. Mm. I, need, I need to get better. And um, very quickly, when she started really letting me know like, oh, wow, this is something that you're really good at. Like you're, you know, you could, you could really, you could really do something with writing. I then got like really confident um, 
in my my ability and then I was like okay well whenever I achieve any level of success in something I just want to be better like I I don't think I've ever been like oh yeah that's that's awesome I'm good it's it's always it's almost like the beginning of something <laughs> uh, bad for people around me but like it's but great for me it's like if I figure out that I'm good at something I'm like well well I've got to be the best in the world at it like that's that's the only thing I've got to do now. Like I, I have to be the absolute best at this, not just, oh, you're talented at this. Like I, when I started playing basketball, I went from zero to like, I have to be on the England team, like very quickly. I couldn't even really play and I wanted to be on the England team. Mm. Um, but I set that as a goal and then I achieved that goal. But you know, with writing, it's like the same thing. So, you know, um, I knew that if I worked hard enough, I can do something with writing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so she really inspired me to to do that. And so I wrote a poem every day. Um, and then, you know, I won a few awards in for for creative writing and for um, my my poems. I wrote a poem about Marian Anderson, um, uh, who uh, she has a, an amazing story, um, a black woman in America. Um, and so I actually wrote it for Black History Month. Um, and then I wrote a, a short story about the end of the world. Um, was, uh, and that was kind of the first thing that was like published in, um, I won some money at school for uh, a library. And then, yeah, then after that, I just forgot about writing. I don't know, I just, after I graduated, Scott started basketball, and um, a friend who I made at the school um, in Kentucky, when we had both kind of, I think he got, um, he went to Purdue University, um, and yeah, it's it was a tough, it's a tough story. I th- you know, we were best friends in school. Um, he is like the opposite of me. So like seven foot one, we called him PlayStation because he like literally, he jumped like it was like in a game. Mm. Um, he was top 50 ranked in the country, like amazing, but just honestly, just like an, an absolute energy. Like he smiled and you know when people say, oh, he's got a million dollar smile. Like this guy has like a billion dollar smile. Like just, skin perfect, like just handsome, great athlete, funny, lighthearted. You can talk to him about anything, just the perfect human being. Um, and I'm like, I'm just like, oh man, like this, he's like a superstar. Like he's actually, this is what, it's not a normal person. This is like a superstar. And um, when, yeah, so he, uh, he'd got into the, the the development league, the NBA development league, and then um, I was actually on on Skype with him, um, and we were just talking about like our situations. I was in Denmark, um, he was in the States, and we were just talking back and forth. And I'm like, yeah, this is like what's happening with me, like you know, just dumb stuff. I was like, I've got like heated floors, like this is crazy. Blah blah blah. We're just going back and forth about what's going on. And then he was like, oh, um, I will, yeah, I just got to go real quick. Um, and 
so he just let, left Skype and then he just like never came back and it's uh I it's it is the weirdest thing because I remember it like it was like a second ago um but just to um be waiting there for like days like waiting there like what is going on um and his amazing sister uh, emailed me and like let me know that he had um passed away um and uh yeah it was it really broke my heart um and i started looking at things a lot differently after that um and it was yeah i started writing in like um just kind of writing my thoughts out. And I remember the first song, it was like a poem, but it was called Valedictorian Speech. And it was just um, something that I um, wrote for him as like a, if I was the valedictorian, like, you know, speaking about on, if he was a valedictorian, then I was speaking on his behalf. You know, mm. it was just like, and it was this, um, but yeah, that was a pretty crazy situation but it kind of sparked like, I need to do more than I'm doing right now. Um, so even that early on, like I only just started playing at that level. I knew that like, you know, I need to do something. I didn't know what it was, but I was like, I need to do something, not this. Mm -hmm, something different. Something different, yeah. Mm. So. And then you started writing a lot. Yeah, just started really writing. I played a. Uh, a few more years, I played in the BBL, um, so I played a few more years of, of um, kind of high, high-ish level basketball, and then I was like, I'm, I'm done. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, you know, I wasn't injured, I didn't get kicked off a team, I just was done. Um, I knew I needed to, um, I knew I needed to do something, I didn't know what it was, so I just moved home, and I wrote, I wrote short stories, I wrote poems and loads of poems and um, I began a novel, I wrote outlines for <laughs> so many different novels and then I just worked. I worked um, initially at like a um, clothing store and then I worked at a hotel just to kind of um, get money in but um, I was mourning and kind of grieving but at the same time, I was really trying to figure out what I was gonna do. And I, and I actually didn't communicate what I was actually going through with anybody, like really properly. Like I didn't really say like, this is, this is why, this is for real why I didn't wanna play. And this is what I'm doing. Like, you know, um, I'd give like, someone asked me, I'd give them the answer that was palatable for them to hear. And this person, I'd give them the answer that's palatable for them to hear, but nothing, um, nothing of any real substance or truth at that point, if mm -hmm. I'm honest, it was just, um, yeah. And then um, it was like, I, 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 I knew it was, I knew it was music. It wasn't a specific time that I knew it was music, but like, the poems, I was really interested in like folk music um, and the storytelling of country music. 
um, not country music in general, but just the storytelling aspect of, of country music and and the the, um, the songwriters in like blues music and things like that. And so I started listening, um, and then my poems started becoming these like um, uh, stories that were um, had had melody to them. Mm. Um, and then then I started writing these folk songs. Um, and just writing, not really singing them because I didn't know how to sing. <laughs> and um, then, then the short stories, then the folk songs started turning into like spoken word. Like it's very easy to turn like poetry to spoken word. It's kind of like a easy transition, and that kind of informed and laid the groundwork for how I rap. Um, and it took me a long time to just be comfortable with like this is how I sing. It's not like how people sing. And this is how I rap. It's not like how people rap. I didn't want to, um, I did not want to be, and I I already felt like a pretender because I'm an athlete, I'm not a musician. So then I didn't want to then create this thing where I'm like, I sound like this artist or sound like this artist. So I'm like, I have people that I look up to and I love, but I really wanted people to be able to hear me and be like, that's Movi. Mm. Eventually I wasn't Movi at the time, but like, that's just him, that's who he is. Um, so I went to open mics, and um, yeah, I think people were, lots of people were singing like covers, cover songs. But I never learned covers because I, I just learned my own songs. Mm. Because I didn't know the, I guess the etiquette. Like I just, all I ever did was write my own songs. Um, and so I, when I came in, um, I just sang my own songs on that first open mic and um, n you know, nobody hated it, but like I made a bunch of mistakes and the crucial thing was going back the second week. And after I did that second week, I was like, okay, this is just like basketball. Like if I keep working hard, I'm going to get better at this. The same way as when I started writing. I'm like, I got better at writing. And when I did my first open mic, I was confident as a writer. Like I, I knew I could write. I've been writing for a few years at that point. And I'm like, people don't know yet, but I am one of the best writers that they're ever gonna <laughs> read. I knew mm -hmm. that in my mind. And even if, like I told myself that, but now I have to learn how to sing. Now I have to learn how to rap. Now I have to learn how to like, think of unique melodies. And that was the next challenge. Mm. Like, if I work at this, I'm gonna get better at this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And you hustled even more and organized a world tour for yourself, not knowing how to do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, this, the, so we're at here, we're at the timeline when I'm now of like, for almost a year, I have like played live, you know, open mics, I put together a band, um, uh, you know, we like sold out the first show, this band was awesome. And then I thought to myself like, you know, we did like about almost 20 festivals that summer. I just, I remember reaching out to hundreds of festivals on honestly about a thousand festivals that i i physically emailed myself and i was like if i get like two i'm happy because like you know no one's reaching out to me i um, ended up getting about 20 festivals that summer and just really packing out the schedule and i thought like if i can do that i can I may as well just book a world tour. I don't know why that was the obvious next step for me. <laughs> but I was like, the thing that I need right now is repetitions. Like I need, 
um, I want to be a great live performer, so I've got to get the shows in which to do that. Um, so instead of just kind of doing it all locally, I just said to the band, like, hey, so basically I'm going on a world tour. Do you guys want to come? And like, they all laughed. And, um, and, and I think they all gave it serious thought, but it just, doesn't, it wasn't, just wasn't going to work out for them. You know, a few of them had work, a few of them had university and other commitments. But one member was like, yeah, from the very, like, he didn't even think about it. Like, he was like, yep, yeah, I can do it. Um, and his, his dad helped financially. Like, and he just said, I will do whatever, wherever you want to go, I will, I will come and I'll play. And so the band was over at that point because I was going on this world tour. (laughs) (laughs) um, um, Sounds so funny saying it. And then, um, yeah. And then this guy's name is Benny Jones. He's still like one of my best friends, such a talented guitarist. And now when things, now things are full circle, we get to do a lot of the exciting things that we talked about on the world tour. but anyways, yeah, I booked like 30 shows in 30 days in New Zealand. I booked like 15 shows in Australia, um, the, the East Coast, um, the United States, like we were based in New York, I booked 15 shows there on the West Coast, 15 shows there, we're based in San Francisco. Um, England, we had like a, a mini tour there. Um, so I went into a library and I, um, I contacted every single venue. I then researched who had played at that venue to inform who I was going to get the support. I did. <laughs> I contacted like all the local actors who wanted to play. A bunch of them, nah, yeah, I, you know. So I got the lineups there. Then I communicated with each of them over the months leading up to the show, and just to make sure that they were like, you know bringing people to the show because no one knows me in New Zealand or um, and then I booked travel in country transport like um, flights accommodation food like like I did absolutely every aspect of the tour Um, number one because I wanted to know how it all worked and number two because I just again I just did not want to get I was not going to be denied I didn't want to leave for someone else for them to um, fail me in any way mm. and I didn't want I didn't want to be mad at anybody so I'm like well just do it yourself um, and then I did and uh, it was so great you know our first show in New Zealand was in Christchurch was sold out and I'm like you know and that was because of the supports and mm. then the venue you know um, and but being able to replicate that in so many places that we went to being able to get residencies at hotels in exchange for stay at the hotel well, things just things like that. I was, um, it was a great experience business-wise. We lost a lot of money on the tour um, because things happened that I didn't expect. Like the van broke down in New Zealand, so I had to hire a, a van for pretty much the whole tour and broke down on like the second show. So you had to factor into that cost. And we were, the point is, we got back home safely, and. Um, for honestly, for so long, I had, you know, there's, there's certain people along my journey who have made me feel like, oh, that's a waste of money, or like you're going, who do you think you are going on a tour? Like, the shows aren't sold out. You're not playing arenas. What's the point? Of, like, and I thought to myself, like, it is a, it is an achievement. That 2015 year was an achievement, massive achievement in my life. It's only very, very recently that I've actually been like, like. 
not a lot of people can do that. Mm -hmm. Can roll up their sleeves and put set together something like that. And so I'm not gonna let anybody make me feel like it was, I, I am only here today because I went on that tour. 2015. Right. And, I, and you know, like, and you learned of a whole I, lot. I learned a huge amount, even how to manage my voice. Like, I remember the rehearsal, the first rehearsal in New Zealand. So, what we actually did was we had like rehearsals in each place we went to. It was like another strategy to get people to come to the show. So, you know, I wanted to fill out the band, but we only had uh, me and Benny. So, we had like uh, auditions to get people to. Um, auditioned for uh, parts in the band, hopefully so that those people could bring their people to the shows as mm -hmm. well. So um, at the first rehearsal, once we got the band for um, New Zealand, I was so excited. I actually like performed in the rehearsal, hitting all the high notes, like yelling, like getting, you know, and then I realized that you're the main communicator on this tour. You're, you are the tour manager, you're all these things. You're, you're the only person who's communicated with all this band, so you got to speak to everybody. And after the first show, my voice was just like done. Yeah. And, and I had to, I was, my vocal cords were on a string for nine months. And like I thought, okay, this is it. I'm, I will never be able to sing again after this tour. Mm. And I, I re, it's, it took so long to get everything back to how it needed to be. You wouldn't have known that though, unless no, you unless experienced I, that. I did that, yeah. Mm -hmm, I had nobody, mm -hmm. I, I didn't have a teacher. You know, with my with singing, I taught myself with rapping, I taught myself with writing. Uh, you know, I taught like other than Alice Lindsley, like I taught myself how to write songs um, mm. and how to communicate. Like I don't play an instrument, but I produce my music. So like just being able to see everything, being able to know how to communicate this to, to Benny so he can play this or, you know. So it was by far the most valuable thing that I've ever done and it was, the reason I'm so emphatic about, you know, being proud of myself for that is because I spent so much time thinking that it was um, a failure because I didn't make money. Like, and these, these things have been communicated to me by people who will never do anything to that level. Mm. Like, who will, are completely happy with mediocrity and I'm not, I, I'm not even pulling any punch that I actually completely mean that. They're completely happy with mediocrity in their own lives and that's what they expect for everybody else's lives. And if you wanna do anything outside the box, and I'm saying people, we all know who those sorts of people are. They're an abundance of those, of those people, um, not just in, my, in well, they're, they're no longer in my actual life, but in my sphere and on, on the planet, people who are going to be able, who are gonna feel entitled to tell you that this is a waste of money. They could even be your parents. This is a waste of money. This is this. You need to go and do this. You need to get a regular job. Um, all of these things. Um, but I took that significant risk at that time um, because I did not have, for me, I did not have another choice. Um, I like, there were so many things on the line. Like one of the biggest driving factors for me was, um, I use the word avenge, not because I'm gonna go out and, and kill anybody, but I wanted to avenge my friend. Like, I wanted to be something. I wanted to be some, something and I wanted to be somebody. Like, um, like, for him, I wanted to be something for him. I wanted to be something for my family. And I want, you know, um, and so that's the motivation in which I, I went out in. Um, 
and for so long, I can't even tell you, like years. It felt like longer than it actually was really because it was really like post 2015. But just the, like, I felt so like, oh my gosh, was that the right thing? Or I'd, I'd have to qualify it when I spoke to people. I went on this, didn't make money, but this, or mm. this is but that. And I'm like, no, did you, have you organized a world tour before? No. Now you then own it. Exactly. Yeah. Now it's, I, I'm proudly um, communicate that because like it wasn't an easy thing to do. Mm. Yeah. Where did where did Movi come from? Movi. Um, so I really care about my actual name. My my actual name's Ransford. Um, I was named after um, my uncle, who was also a pastor, and um, he uh, sadly died. Um, but like, I think everyone who knew this man, like, probably universally, everyone who knew this man knows that he, he like, he's literally an angel. Like I, I can't, I don't think he's just a normal human being. I've said that about a few people today, but um, I really mean that like I, his presence, every, every time he's, he, he's in a room and makes people feel so comfortable, it's just this, majestic human being it was uh, a mentor to my dad and like you know father figure to my mum and then my mum and dad actually named me and my older sister after um, him and his wife so my mm. older sister's called Johanna after auntie Johanna and then um, uncle Ransford I was named after him um, so I really care about that name and I know this journey that I'm on um, with music um, and entertainment and in this age of like social media like people like have they can they say what they want to say when they want to say it and they do whatever they want um, and so I wanted to create a character that can filter every everything that people say good or bad like I don't want to get too high I don't want to get too low but I know that when they say oh my gosh Moby's amazing they're talking about a character I know if they say like Moby sucks or I hate Moby or go kill yourself or something weird like that, I know they're talking about a character. So I, as a sensitive person, I, I really wanted to be able to have that character in place so that I don't get so personally affected by the opinions of people, good or bad. Mm. And so I wanted to be able to create a character, but how it, Moby came about is, it was like 2017 New Year's Eve, I had been for months, for maybe from about September that, that year, 2017, I've been thinking about like my artist name because I had quit music in 2017. We're not gonna get into that story today, but like it was the hardest year of my life. And um, I was like, who am I? You know, I do hip hop, I do pop, I do folk, I do indie alternative, I do a little bit of reggae. I do like, there's so many different styles of music that I do I could not, I was not happy with any name that I was thinking. I wasn't happy with any identity. And then I'm obsessed with colors. So I started looking through colors and thinking like, what, who am I? Like literally, and it was for months. And on New Year's Eve, I, um, my favorite color is purple. And I started, I, I was getting, for that week, I was really obsessed with like the shades of purple. Mm. Then I'm like, okay, mauve is literally 
when I ask someone, what color is mauve? No one can give me a straight answer. This is the, a straight answer doesn't exist. Like, it's, it's a bit blue, it's a bit silver, it's a bit gray, it's a bit pink. It's a bit of so many things, and that literally is me as a musician and as a person. I've got multi-layers, multi-genres. I cannot be contained to one genre. I cannot be contained to one personality. Like, so when I said, so I'm a bit, I'm a bit movie. That's kind of what I, I said in that, in that time. And I'm like, oh, movie, this is awesome. Wrote it down. And, um, and I was like, this is it. This is, this is me. And it's the only thing that I've created that I've like, I don't, I don't want to change. I don't want to edit it. I don't want to, like, it, it's just me, you know? Mm. And now, um, like I feel so at peace with the fact that like that actually is, um, yes, it's the character, but I really connect with this character. Mm. Mm. And you've had a lot of support, you know, in, in the past few years, um, BBC Introducing, BBC Radio One, British Art Council Selector Radio, and, and much more. And uh, huge congratulations on signing your, your recent record deal with 604 Records. Yeah. All of that is really huge. How yeah. do, how does that feel? Um, yeah, I mean, it's just it feels it feels great to to have um, to see some fruits for the like the all the hard work. Um, I was just saying we were just saying off uh, off mic that uh, it's every until twenty nineteen. Everything was like preseason. I hadn't put out one song, um, and you know, at this point, I'm like over three thousand songs written, um, and just like the practice, wanting to get better, performing, wanting to get better. Um, so when I was ready in 2019, I was really, really, really lucky to be able to get like my first song played from on BBC Introducing, um, and. Like Steph Newenhouse, who's like the um, BBC introducing DJ in Southampton, my hometown, has supported me from literally the the very first song, um, and opened uh, me up to um, getting support from um, Hugh Stevens on Radio One, um, and now Gemma Bradley on Radio One. So I mean, it's the champions that I've had, like in my hometown in Southampton, here in Vancouver, like unbelievable. I've done a lot of work by myself, but like to get to that next level, it's been, you know, crucial um, help from, from like Music PC, from um, BBC Radio, from, um, promoters, different different key people, even Jay, mm. um, being able to put in a good word for me here or doing this here and that, you know, a lot of a lot of um support and it was when I saw that support, that's what kind of really informed when I when I was saying earlier that I want the reason I do things to be like for a good reason. And not because I'm mad that this person said I couldn't. Now I've got people who are saying that I can. You know, I've got people who are like, "We think you can do this. Here's this opportunity. You know, we think you can do this. Here's this, this opportunity." And um, that's kind of culminated with this opportunity with 604 um, 
which I still can't believe, like, you know, I made that bold claim, like I want to sign to a record label, but when I signed with the record label, I wanted to be literally this. They've got to have this, 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 this. And I, um, and, you know, I want the perfect scenario. Yeah. And um, all your skill set from the basketball playing days professionally, when you, you went into those meetings and you were like, this is everything, this is yeah. all that I am. Yeah. And it's, that, it's that, coming back. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's an amazing scenario, like the being able to, talk through that you know um i mean i've got managers now um but going through that 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 time i was just talking myself with a label mm -hmm. and um over the last like couple of years of having discussions with like different publishers different labels um these are all scenarios that i'd be having like myself and mm -hmm. um feeling confident in those dreams and growing in confidence in uh, this is all from what I kind of the the things that I gathered and learned along the way um, so those things were super valuable um, but yeah it, it's it's a it it's literally a dream come true to have the the type of deal that I've got with 604 um, and just to have someone more than anything just to have someone be like we believe in what you're doing. Like, I can't communicate how amazing that is for someone like me who's just had to go through so much adversity. Um, I think it's important for people who go through a lot of adversity that if you if you get blessings as well, you just, you, you have to acknowledge them as well. Like, you know, so my life isn't just adversity. My life is, um, these amazing opportunities and these amazing blessings and these amazing champions that have given me these opportunities as well. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, I think we spoke the other day, I think being able to feel so grateful, this level of grateful is completely because I went through that much adversity. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And it's so, it's wonderful too, because you were um, able to get a lot of creative autonomy when you when you signed your contract. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. I think what, one of the first conversations um, I had with the label was um, just about the fact that they are an artist-friendly label. And I'm sure every label will communicate that. Um, but like, yeah, I did a lot of my, my own research um, and they, Firstly, just put their money where their mouth is. That's just the, as simple as, as I can make it. Being able to, I, showing that level of belief in me when I don't have billions of streams and I don't have this and I don't have that. Just off of what I, my, my talent and how I've communicated, like being able to invest in me and then um, not wanting to change um, what I wanted to do. And that is not something that they've just talked about. That's something that they've, they've really delivered on. Um, I wrote a bunch of songs that I was going to release this year and I had a plan to release a song every month. And then I wrote an, an album um, and it, I was fully expecting them to be like, well, we won't put, we'll forget about these songs. We'll just concentrate on the album and we'll put the album out next year and we'll do this long lead up and blah, blah, blah. That's what I expected just from like how other people's scenarios go. Um, but they were just like, you know, 
we love your singles. We want to start putting your own songs out now in the way that you want to put them out. So yeah, we want to, you know, I was like, are you, you know, you sure you want me to do it like once a month? They were like, yes, these are, the, what songs do you like? These songs? Okay, great, cool. And so they were, um, they have, they have all the knowledge, all the like advice. If you're, if you need any help, if you, um, there's, there isn't a scenario between um, Jonathan Simkin, who runs the label all the way down, there isn't a scenario they haven't gone through in the music industry. Um, and so they're completely there to be able to communicate things and help you through. Um, and they've, that, that has been completely true in my scenario so far. But at the same time, um, I really sense a, um, I really sense that I'm the leader of this Moby project. Mm -hmm. um, and that sounds like a weird thing to say because you would think that every artist would be the leader of their project, but um, obviously that's not the case. Um, but in my scenario, I really, really feel like I'm the leader of the Moby project. Um, and um, I've always just wanted a scenario, not where I'm the leader, but where I've, I've got a team that um, like, it's just like, okay, let's all get to work, let's go, and yeah. now I've got that. Yeah, the infrastructure is there for you to Absolutely. do your best. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, and you know, expectation-wise, like, you know, one of the most comforting things is that, like, I am unbelievably, as you've <laughs> gathered already, I'm unbelievably ambitious, um, because I think the stakes are enormous. Like, I, um, I want to distribute love like that's what I'm doing on planet Earth, period. Like, so it is not a game or a joke for me to, I take everything extremely seriously. That's, you know, um, and I'm a competitor. I wanna win at the highest level. I wanna be on the highest platforms because the biggest platforms are going to reach the most people. And I communicated all this to, to um, 604 and um, there's, there is just this sense of like calm and confidence with how they respond to me. Um, and that's what I really like. So they're not like, hey, let's temper your expectations. They're like, we hear your expectations, like, you know, um, and we're willing to work with you. And, you know, there, there hasn't been any like, we're gonna do this and we're gonna do that. And this is how, there isn't any of that kind of like blowing smoke or, um, saying things that they can't deliver. It's just like, okay, you want to do this. We want to, we want you to do this. Let's all try mm. and do our best. Right. And wherever, wherever we get to, we get to. Support, consistency. Yeah. Mm. And just in the back of my mind, because I know how I am, I'm just like, oh, we're going to do it. Like, <laughs> I'm not saying that, I'm not putting any pressure on anybody, but like in my mind, I'm like, the upper echelon of what I want to do, I'm going to do. And that's it. That's mm. where I'll leave, I'll leave that one. <laughs> and and they're there. They're there for the ride. So that's amazing. So just a few more questions for you. Honestly, I've spoken so much. No, this I, is what it is. Yeah. So <laughs> just blabbed on and on. <laughs> no, I, I love it. This is this is your time to tell your story. Mm -hmm. uh, you have some new music coming out this week. Yes. Well, oh, by the gosh. time this comes out, the music will be out. But yes. that's so exciting. I think this Friday, no? This Friday, yeah. Friday the 9th of July, 2021. Um, big day. Big day <laughs> in history. <laughs> um, no, the, my, my debut single um, 
with 604 is actually out and it's going to be called, um, it is called Nine. It's a double single, Nine and Helium. Um, and yeah, it's just the start of the journey. Um, uh, I guess I'll tell you off, off mic some of the exciting visual mm. I think I've already told you. Yeah, I? yeah, yeah. We, we we chatted about it, so we'll we'll keep that, we'll keep that for, for other people to yes. see. But you also did this amazing campaign where yes. you dropped off 18, 18 roses, right? Eight, so yeah, eighteen bunches of um, bouquets of flowers mm -hmm. to, um, and it was just to say thank you. Like this, I'm, I hope, I hope that you um, people listening have just. I'm just grateful. I'm just grateful to to be here. I'm grateful for the opportunity and I'm grateful for the people who've helped. Um, so that's just what I did. I just went, it was actually the hottest day of the year. <laughs> I don't know why I did it on that day, but <laughs> it was the hottest day of the year. And um, uh, an, an amazing local florist, um, that her, her brand is called Love Her Wild. Um, and yeah, it, she made on very short notice, 18 like unique, bunches of flowers, kind of mauvey colored as well. So I just, um, across the nine days of July, so the first to the ninth, I just went to two people's houses um, a day and then delivered these flowers. So I filmed all 18 on that one day. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it was uh, the poor cameraman, <laughs> um, Roman um, from 604 was, yeah, he was along for the ride, and yeah, it was just it was just great to. Um, honestly, it was great to just do it. It was nice to get it on camera, and we put it out on social media or whatever. But like, like I didn't care about that part. I really just cared about like capturing it and just honestly looking through. I've looked through them like every day, and just looking through them like, man, like this is this. I'll always remember this, and hopefully they'll always remember it too. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm sure they will. Second to last question. Um, if you were going to, as either Movi or Ransford or both, say something to young Ransford who was bullied and told he couldn't do things, what would you say to him knowing what you know now? I would say, well done, mate, because I couldn't have done anything differently. Like, I'd say congratulations, well the frick done, because you got bullied, but you picked yourself up. You didn't waste any time, I wasted no time at all. Yes, I was her and blah, 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 but I, I picked myself up and I had like great parents and whatever, but I didn't go crying to them when I got bullied. I picked myself up and I worked. And I got bullied some more and I picked myself up again and I worked. I got bullied by adults who, sh who should have known better. I got bullied by kids who didn't know better. Like, it didn't matter. I picked myself up. So I would actually just, I'd give my younger self a pat on the back and be like, thank you. Well mm. done. That's what I'd say. Mm. And my final question, and it's the question I ask every guest, and I think you, you answered it in part already with, um, you know, the impact you want to make it is spreading the love. But the question is, with what you do, what is it that you want to leave behind in the world? So maybe it's an expansion. Yeah, um, that's a really good question. Um, I, I want to distribute love. That's what I want to do. So, you know, I, I said 
when I before when I was um, 17 at the school in in um, Millersburg I wrote down like I'm gonna change the world and then I was I was you know when you're like at that age you just you question every question so I was like how you know when people say oh I want to change the world and I'm the, the obvious question after that is how like you know how are you going to actually do this outlandish claim that you've you know and then I'm like okay I really thought about that like over like a year and a bit I really thought about that question how am I going to change the world in my own little way or in a big way and then so I broke it down and I thought what does the world need like how, if you're going to make it a better place you've got to fill it with something that it needs and like it needs love and then like that's that's pretty much all we actually need if 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 you can distribute love and it's something that is inexpensive every single human being in the world can distribute love um, and it doesn't matter the the size of the level you can distribute love to one human being you can distribute love to an animal you can distribute love to the environment like it's it's so easy to just be kind to just distribute love, to tell someone that you love them, to get them a bunch of flowers, to remember their birthday or what, whatever it is, it's actually so easy to distribute love. So all I wanna be able to do is to be able to blow up that message um, and carry that message through my career. That's what I wanna do. Like, so through my music, every, you know, I live for, those moments on stage in between songs when I can just tell people love each other like that. I don't even have to say much more than that. Like, and you know, hopefully if I, if I get to the Grammys or the Oscars or whatever platform, I'm going to use my time to talk about love. That, that's, that's what's going to be, that's what's going to be the most consistent thing. I'm using my time on this podcast to talk about love. Every time I get an opportunity to speak, that's what I'm going to speak about. You know, my music is the, the, um, the journey of love. If you listen to all the words, it's I'm speaking about the different facets of love, whether it be heartbreak, whether it be, you know, when you're in love, infatuation, friendship, all of these things. I'm, I talk about them in in metaphors or completely directly in my music. So people listening to my music are you're going to you're going to experience some type of love, and if you listen to me speak, you're going to hear that that's what I want to spread, and Hopefully, if you speak to people who know me, who talk about me, that's what they're going to share about about me, um, and then so on and so forth. And so, yeah, I mean, that all I all I am existing for now, and that's the and going full full circle. That's the best way that I can honor my friend who passed away is by doing the thing that I I know for a fact that he was doing. Probably subconsciously, he was. He was distributing love. Every smile that he smiled, he was distributing love. Like every person's day that he brightened, like he was not he was not a fighter. This whole like I'm a lover, not a fighter. That's actually that's what he was. He was literally just like a lover. Mm -hmm. um, and so I kind of I'm so happy that I was able to find the thing that would honor him, my uncle. You know, my mom, my dad, like the people that I care about, the things that can that are going to honor them the most is more love. Mm. And so, like, 
it is the absolute least I can do. And I'm just going to do the least. I'm going to do the most with the least. Mm. The least I can do is deliver, is, the, is deliver love. And I'm going to do the most with that. That's it. And, you know, in the first coffee we had and, and you were telling me about this in, in distributing and, and spreading love, what I had said to you then, and I, I will say it again, is that, um, that I think that you are love. Like you already radi- radiate that. Um, in the few conversations that we have, I, I can feel it. And um, I, I'm just so excited for everything that's happening for you. Thank you for sharing your hearts yeah. and for being here. And I hope for many, many more conversations with you to come in the future. And um, I'm, I'm really happy that you've come into my life. Thank you very much. I'm honestly, I'm honored to have come into your life. And I'm really glad. I'm, I'm excited for, um, for lots of off um, mic hangouts. And um, yeah, I think it's going to be fun. I think it'll be great. Um, thank you for being here. You're welcome. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you enjoyed that last conversation, be sure to check out more episodes with Craft on Spotify and guest photo galleries on the website at wearethecraft.com. Thanks again for listening.